0: a verse. Let's read a verse. Shall we read a verse? Uh, Miss Savannah, if you could connect me with the Okay, so every time I hear, see that phrase the first thing that pops in my mind is Bun, da, 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 I love you guys so much. Because love is all you need. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Love is a many splendored thing and my dookie doesn't work. All right. Well, Savannah, it's all you. If you could go to that next awesome. This is why we have people to help us in our moments of iniquity, iniquity inadequacy, whatever. All right. Matthew twenty two thirty six. 36. Guy, punk, Sadducee, Pharisee, whatever, came up to Jesus wanting to trap him and asked him a question. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, the greatest commandment. And Jesus goes, but wait, there's more. This, uh, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says something kind of amazing to a group of religious law practitioners. Says everything that you've spent your life working on, I'm going to throw it out the window and I'm going to boil all of your universities and all your studies and all your mystical teachings, and I'm going to boil it down into four words. It says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So every book in the Old Testament, everything that the Jewish nation had been building their lives up to, Jesus says, okay, the Cliff's Notes version is love God, love other people. Like, you don't even have to take the class over it. If you love God and you love other people, you get a, an easy A. So it's like love God and love other people. How easy is that? It's a walk in the park. Don't you wake up every day overflowing with love for God? Don't you wake up every day, walk through rush hour traffic, dropping your kids off at school? Someone hits you, T-bones you in the, in the parking lot, and you go, I love you. <laughs> get stuck in my favorite place in the universe, Walmart. I, I don't understand now that All Good, this has nothing to do with spiritual things, All Good now has checkout, self-checkout lines, and it's the most amazing thing ever because I just do my stuff, and I, and I get out, and I can put everything into one bag because as guys I don't need to be making a bunch of trips to the car. I get everything in one bag. It's cutting off my circulation to my fingers, but it's okay so I don't have to make another trip. So I do all of that, and then at like 9 o'clock at night, they have a lady on a cash register and nobody on the self-checkout. I'm like, if you have one employee, manage the five different places that people can check themselves out. I don't get that, but they didn't ask my opinion. So, so about Jesus. So, he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these, on these two commands, to love God and love other people. But what about wearing shirts that have, like, multiple fabrics in it? What about that rule? Well, what about the rule about not eating, like, shellfish, Like, how does that apply to love God and love other people? What about murder? What about cheating on your taxes? What about moving your neighbor's boundary stones? Jesus cuts through all of the rules, the regulations, the, well, where is the line on, like, a physical relationship with my girlfriend? Like, can I get this far or can I get, like, this far? Like, when do I start sinning? And Jesus goes, love God, love other people. Okay, well, what about like can I pick up sticks on the Sabbath and not get stoned? Or can I like get an ox out of a pit? Love God, love other people. Stop worrying about all the religious do's and don'ts, all the, well, you can do this on this day, or you can't do this on this day, that that the Jewish nation had filled their hearts with. They had filled their hearts with all these rules and regulations. He says, Love God, love other people. And that's as Christians how we're supposed to fill our time. Like we're believers in Christ, we're Christians. We believe in the law of Christ, and I think it's funny that we spend so much time focusing and worrying about whether or not the Ten Commandments are in the courtrooms or, you know, on the city square, and Jesus says, love God, love other people. We're not going to worry about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, like, let's not worry about all that stuff. Love God, love other people, and when we come into contact with other people, like sitting here in a church, it's easy to say, well, love God, got it, love God got love for God flowing out of my fingernails. But it's the love for people that we usually have a problem with because people aren't like us. And when we come into contact with people that don't think like us, that don't talk like us, that don't act like us, ooh, man, it's so hard to love you. Like you really drive like that? That's that's the way that you learned how to drive? Awesome. That is the wrong way. That's the way that you make chili? Ooh. I like, it's wrong. It's wrong. You're doing that wrong. So when we come into contact with other people, we have a, an issue with loving. There is nobody in the universe more different than God. So we think that we can love God very effectively, but Jesus says, well, if you can't love your brother or sister that's sitting next to you, we've got a problem with loving God that you can't see. So we have, uh, we have this love that God has put inside of us. And I think it's, funny sometimes in the church, we talk about, well, I need to, I need to mature in love, or I need to get more love in my life, or I need to be trying harder to tell the truth more, or um, to try to be more holy. And we think that there is like this big vat of love, or big vat of holiness that God has, and that I have a little bit of it, and that God wants me to come back and get more like Oliver Twist, like, please, sir, can I have some more? Like, I need more love, God. Like, Pour love into my heart. Well, Jesus looks at us and goes, I did. Like, your bowl's full. Do your dogs or cats ever do that? Like, there's food in their bowl, and they look up at you. More? You have food in your bowl, man. Eat your food. But, or like your kids. Can we have dinner? It's on your plate. It's green. Eat it. (laughs) I don't want that. I want a Pop-Tart. Or, hey, can you cut the crust? Just eat your food. And so, like, we get frustrated on that. But, like, God has poured love in our hearts. A lack of love is not our issue. Like, we can say that it's an issue, but God has everything that we ever need has already been given to us. God says that he gave everything in the entire universe to Jesus. Like, Jesus had a really good birthday. Everything. Is under the Son's command, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes of what is Jesus's and makes it revealed to us, makes it known to us, gives it to us. So there is a pipeline from the creator of the universe straight over us. We have need of nothing, right? Okay, so when we go up to God and say, God, I need to love more. Yes. You don't. I've given you all the love that you will ever need. Use it. <laughs> like, and so that's that's our problem. The, the problem that we have is not having love towards somebody. The problem is expressing love towards somebody. And I know that it sounds like a little bit of, a, well, you're just messing with semantics. Um, that's a really funny joke that I won't tell. Um, so you're just messing with the words, but the words that we use mess with the, the thoughts that we have. So if you keep on saying words over yourself over and over and over again, words have power. And if you just say, well, I, I'm just an idiot. Well, hey, I'm just an idiot. Well, I'm just not really that smart. All of a sudden, your life will start mirroring, mirroring you not being smart. And so if we keep on saying, oh, I just need to love more. I need to love more. Or preachers from the stage will say, you need to be loving more, forgetting ourselves. You need to be loving more. We create in our minds this m- model that we have a deficit of love, and we don't have a deficit of love. All the food that I will ever need is on my plate. I just need to eat it. I just need to express that love. Well, why do we have a problem expressing love? Not only to other people, but also to God. Well, the reason why we have a problem is because we live in a really junky world. And all of us, at some point in time, have put our hearts on the line, usually like in grade school. Like, hi, girl that sits across from the class. I really like you. Ew, you're a boy. Stop talking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, got it. We put our heart on the line and we get our hopes dashed. And so we learn to protect our heart, our true love. We learn how to protect it. Well, what happens if you grow up in a home with like an alcoholic father or someone that's abusive or someone that screams all the time? Well, as a kid, you learn to put out your love. Oh my God, that is the scariest environment that I've ever seen. And so you withdraw. Or what happens if you feel rejected by your wife or your kids or something like that? Well, I kind of want to love you, but you're going to reject me. So I'm going to withdraw my love. And instead of showing you my love, I'm going to show you rejection. And so the kids feel rejected, so they reject. And then the parents feel rejected by the kids, so they reject. And it is this horrible cycle. And what it does is it trains all of us to guard ourselves. Because when you love, you get hurt. Only the people that you really love can hurt you. Like if some idiot shows up to you on the side of the street and is like, I don't like the way you have your hair fixed. I don't care, crazy idiot that came up to me on the side of the street. Who cares what your opinion is? But someone that really loves you and goes, I just really don't like being around you anymore. (laughs) Like, Words hurt, and it's only when we show love, but that's the magic of loving. So like say you're, you're hanging out with your spouse or you have, um, you have a kid or you have your parents or there's somebody in your life that you've finally trusted enough to go, okay, I'm going to show you the real me. And we expose part of our heart and they do a good job and they don't make you feel funny. They don't make fun of you for acting weird. They accept you for who you are. And it's like, it feels so good to finally be known by somebody, to not have to hide, to not have to keep secrets from this person. That's the genuine power of love. But instead, a lot of the times, you know, like if you go to like a museum, like an art museum, and we go see like the Mona Lisa, or we go see the Declaration of Independence or something like that, I might be cynical, but I think that the real Declaration of Independence is in some like closet somewhere, or like the real Mona Lisa is in like the basement of the Louvre, and there's like some really good fake... That's in front of us. So I'm going to show you a fake, the unwashed masses of, you know, museum goers. I'm going to show you a fake so the real is never in danger. I'm going to show you the fake Declaration of Independence so crazy Nick Cage doesn't try to steal it. (laughs) Whoa. So we do the same thing with our love, not only in the church but on the outside of the church. I am terrified that if I show you who I really am, you are going to reject me. So to keep you from rejecting me, I'm going to lock the true me in a closet somewhere. No one's ever going to see him. He's like Harry Potter under the stairs. No one's ever going to hear from the true me that's locked behind over there. And instead, I'm going to show you who I think that you want me to be. And I'm gonna look really impressive. I'm gonna, like, when worship is here, I'm doing backflips down the aisle. Has anyone ever seen, has anyone ever not seen the Blues Brothers? <laughs> awesome, everybody. So, my favorite lo- scene in Blues Brothers is when they go to the church, and, like, the Reverend Cleophas James, It's like, Have you seen the light? And, like, the people are on the trampolines and, like, doing backflips in the aisles. I'm telling you, uh, I horse cackle every time that that comes on. So, like, I envision sometimes, please don't do this because you'll break your ankle. But, like, if people are doing backflips down the, the aisle at the church when they think, man, if I could really get my praise on, then people are going to think that I love God. If I get my praise on, then God's going to think that I really love him. Or if I spend hours and hours and hours praying, what people think I do. <laughs> like, don't you guys just sit around and pray all, all the time? No, we don't. We, don't, we are actually way more normal than you might ever care to imagine. Or if I really read and study scriptures, then I'm going to prove that either I love God or I'm going to be impressive to other people, and then maybe God will start liking me. If I give the homeless guy at Walmart five bucks, then I'm going to be impressive. And so we have this fake facade, that's redundant, but we have this facade in front of us, and it seems really impressive Until you start realizing that that facade is there to keep you from rejecting me. Or if I don't try to impress you, I'm going to try to just be the biggest, most braggadocious idiot on the face of the planet. I'm going to tell you about all my amazing accomplishments in life and tell you about how fantastic I really am. Uh, Teenagers are really good at this. About, I'm, I'm cool. I'm just, I'm cool. Deep down on the inside, they are praying, please God, don't reject me. Don't make fun of me. Don't make me feel weird. I'm barely struggling like this. So the coolest guy that you've ever imagined, like, he's the coolest person ever. Deep down on the inside, he is terrified of being rejected. Okay, so paradise, people that we think that are just amazing people, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, you get the cover removed, and it's like, wow, you are just as crazy as the rest of us. Awesome. And any time that we, we see someone putting a good foot forward, it's to try to protect you from seeing the real. Well, the unfortunate thing, like, God never says that fake love saves the day. That doesn't change anybody's life. The fake you doesn't do anything. So a lot of the times when people find out what I do for a living, like, one of the first phrases out of their mouth is usually, I'm so sorry I said that. I apologize. Or when I see someone at Walmart, one of the first things I say, well, I'm sorry I haven't been in church lately. I just want to let you know, like, I am not God's hall monitor. (laughs) Like, I am not keeping up with tardy slips. I don't care what language you use. I don't care what you do. Like, I am not keeping track. I don't have your personal record hidden in a file somewhere that when you do something wrong, I "Mm -hmm." I don't do that. I promise you I don't. I couldn't care less. And, like, newsflash, God's not doing that either. He is not keeping track of your tardies. He's not going to go, oh, hey, you read the Bible today. Gold star you. Or you haven't read the Bible in an entire week. You get one strike. You get three of those and you're out, buddy. God's not doing that. So since we're not hall monitors, but people react to us as hall monitors, what that lets me know is that deep down in their core, what they think God is doing is judging. What they think down deep in their core, what I'm doing, is I'm judging. There are things about you that are horrible. And if I find them out, I'm going to reject you. If I discover the real you, I'll never want to be friends with you again. And so we say, oh, I'm sorry I said that. I apologize. Or I'm sorry I haven't been in church. And what it's really showing is that you think that God is upset with stuff that you're doing or stuff that you're not doing. And that's not what love is. I don't care about you being the fake you. Like, so if if someone wants to come up to me and talk to me about deep theological things, like if that's what you talk about on Monday, like I would love to talk about deep theological things with you on, you know, Sunday. But if you talk about baseball on Monday, please talk to me about baseball on Sunday. I am not interested in who you think that I want you to be. I am interested in the real you. I'm concerned about the real you. I'm not concerned about the fake you. And so sometimes when we're having social interaction, it's like, okay, how much small talk do we get through in order for me to find who you are? And when all of a sudden, accidentally, I get to see you for who you really are, I want to give you an opportunity to realize I'm not going to throw a brick at you. I want to get to know you. God wants to get to know you. He doesn't want to get to know some future perfected model of you. He wants to love you. He knows You And so he sees you sitting there, and we think that we've got this facade that God's like, you know, at arm's distance. And because God's at arm's distance, we're not showing him the real us. We're not opening up our heart. We're not being vulnerable enough to expose the true us to God. Well, I want you to let you know, like, he sees you in the shower. There is nothing hidden from God. You know, like, when your parents, when you get embarrassed around your parents, it's like, man, they, they changed your diaper. Like, your parents have seen you at your worst. You know, when you've got mucus, like, flying out that it looks like the exorcist in your bathroom. Like, your parents have seen you at your worst, and they still love you. Like, you are not going to get some pimple on your forehead that makes your mom go, oh, my God. You know, like, you're not going to get rejected for having a blemish on your face. And God knows who you really are. He sees all the secrets that are hidden in the closets. He knows about all the hidden bank accounts. He knows about the texts that you delete as soon as you send them. He knows all of that. He has seen sides of you that you don't even see in the mirror. And he has not rejected you yet. Like, what do you think that God is going to discover about you that he doesn't already know that's finally going to make him go, that's it, that's the last straw, I'm done with you? He already knows. Most of the people in this room, our biggest mistakes in life are still in front of us. How's that for encouraging news? Like, like you've never failed as bad as you're going to fail in five years maybe. God knows about that and still hasn't rejected you. If you were ever going to do anything in your life that's going to make God go, oh, that's it, I'm done, he would have already have done it. He knows the end from the beginning and he still loves you. He still knows, he still loves the real you. He is not some OCD freak that like has an aneurysm when you bring your muddy shoes onto his nice carpet. And we say that, like preachers have said that all the time. Well, why do people go to hell? Well, it's because God is very holy. His carpet is the cleanest carpet. Like, it's the best ever. He's got the best carpet. It's huge. This carpet is huge. Um, And so we say, and you, filthy reprobate, have shoes that are so dirty that when you get on God's clean carpet, you can't stand it, so he kicks you out of the house. I promise you, like God has enough money to replace the whole carpet. He'll burn the whole house down to get you in it doesn't care about the carpet. It's not that God is so holy that he has to keep you filthy, awful sinner far away. The problem is that we are trying to hide our shame, our nakedness, our rejection away from God. We're the ones that are running from him. He's running around with a garden hose like, please, just stay still for five seconds and I'll spray all this junk off of you. And we're like, no, stop. Like, okay. So my mom's here. I'm going to expose something about my heart. And still love me anyways. So when mom wouldn't get me like the toy that I would need or or whatever, I would lay down in the Walmart aisle and be like, stop hitting me. (laughs) (laughs) Get up right now. (laughs) So like I was that horror child that that you heard about. So I I sent my mom a a text this weekend. I was around a bunch of kids uh, this weekend. I was like, thank you for not killing me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You have many opportunities just to be like, that's it. I've had enough of you, Justin, just to be done. Okay, so I was the kid that was running around like, stop hitting me. Like, we're doing that with God. And God's like, I am not hitting you. I'm trying to give you an allowance. We're like, quit it. You're being so mean. I'm not. I promise. You keep everything away from us. Remember the prodigal son? You never throw me a party. Like, buddy, (laughs) you live in the house. Your name's on the deed. Everything in this whole farm is yours. You don't like me. You don't love me. So today, the reason why we don't love God, the reason why we don't love people like we should is because we refuse to believe that when someone sees us as we genuinely are, that they are going to love us. So we reject other people before we have an opportunity to be rejected. So today, if you don't hear anything else, If you don't hear me talk about me terrorizing my mom when I was a kid, believe that God loves you, not as you should be, but as you are. He sees you with all your frailties, all your failures, all the things that you hate. When you wake up in the morning and you stare at yourself in the mirror, there are some weekends that I know that people walk into this church, and after Saturday night, they can barely stand to look at themselves in the mirror. Well, God knows what you've done, and he is still overjoyed with the thought of you. He is not frustrated at you. He is not mad at you. He is not waiting to zap you with a lightning bolt or throw a brick at you. He loves you not as you should be, but as you are. He doesn't love some future perfected version of you. He loves you. So I've got a story. So one time, a long time ago, there was this tree, and this tree loved a boy. And every day the boy would come, swing from the tree's branches, gather the tree's apples, climb the tree's trunk. When the boy was tired, he would sit in the tree's shade. The boy loved the tree, and the tree loved the boy, and the tree was happy. So one day, this happens, the boy grew older. The tree was left alone a lot of the time. It made the tree sad. So one day the boy came back, and the tree said, boy, come. Come swing on my branches. Come climb my trunk. Gather my apples and rest in my shade and be happy. The boy said, I'm way too busy to climb trees. You know what I need? I need some money. <laughs> you got any money? The tree said, I don't have any money. I have no need of money, but I have apples. So come, boy, gather my apples, take them to the market, get money, and then you'll be happy. So the boy gathered the apples and went off to the market, and the tree was happy. And after a long time passed, the tree was alone, and the tree got sad. One day the boy showed back up, and the tree shook, shook with joy. Boy, come, swing on my branches, climb my trunk, rest in my shade, and be happy. The boy said, I've got way too much stuff going on to swing from your branches. What I need is a wife and I want some kids. I want a house. Can you get me a house?" The tree said, I, I don't have a house, for the forest is my house. But tell you what, come. Cut my branches off. Build a house for yourself. Then you'll be happy. So the boy climbed the tree, cut the branches off, carried the branches off, built a house for his family. and The tree was happy. After a few years, tree was left alone and sad. One day, she saw the boy coming up the forest path. She could barely speak with joy. She said, boy, come. I have no branches for you to swing on, but I have a trunk that you can climb. And the boy said, I am too sad and too tired to climb on a tree. All I want is a boat so I can get out of here. Can you give me a boat? And the tree said, I have a trunk that you can chop down and you can make yourself a boat and you can sail off and you can go be happy. So the boy chopped the trunk off the tree, carried it off, made a canoe, and the tree was happy, but not really. And after a lifetime of loneliness passed, The boy stumbled back into the forest. And the tree looked up at the boy and said, boy, I'm so sorry. I have nothing left to give. I have no apples for you to eat. And the boy said, well, my teeth are too weak to eat your apples. The tree said, I have no branches for you to swing from. The boy said, well, I'm too frail to swing from branches anymore. The tree said, I have no trunk for you to climb. He said, I am too old and tired to climb. All I need is a place to sit and to rest. So the tree drew herself up with as much majesty as she could muster and said, Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, rest. The boy sat down and rested. And the tree was happy. And when I read the giving tree, A, I bawl like a baby, But B, I see Christ in that. Did the tree ever come up to the boy and say, you've taken me for everything that I have. What more do I have to give you, you ungrateful snot? No. Because the tree loved the boy. And so the tree gave to the boy. And so we see Christ, the creator of the universe, standing at the edge, seeing his family falling apart and broken. And so God looked around to the entire universe, couldn't find anything in heaven that matched your value. The streets are paved with gold. The foundation are laid with gems and diamonds in heaven. And God says, this is dirt. It's worthless. My baby deserves a better gift than all the gold in heaven and all the gems in heaven. What is is there in heaven that matches the value of my baby that is lost and dying? He looks around and sees his own life. There's nothing in heaven more valuable than the life of God. And so Paul says that Jesus came to earth, and he says he emptied himself out. He reserved nothing for himself but pour himself out. As we as his family ate his apples, we cut off his branches, we chopped down his trunk, and then we left him. But not once does Jesus ever look at us and say, if you would have done better, I would have loved you more. The reason why the cross exists is so at the end of our lives, when we come to the Lord and we say, why didn't you do X, Y, or Z? Why did you let this happen? I have nothing left to give. Everything that I could have ever given you, I already gave. There's nothing left in heaven. Everything was in Jesus. He put all of his eggs into Jesus' basket, and Jesus laid it out in front of us. So there is nothing in our lives that could ever convince us that God doesn't love us. There is nothing that he withheld from us. Not once did he ever throw anything back in our face. He loves you sitting there, seeing our abysmal prayer life, seeing our less than sufficient biblical knowledge. And not once does he ever get frustrated at you. Not once did the tree ever say, well, boy, well, if you'd let me in the canoe with you. No. What did the tree want? Just wanted relationship. Wanted for the boy to come. Swing from my branches, eat my apples, rest in my shade and be happy. And that's all that Jesus wants of you. Is for you to look in the mirror and to see yourself the way that he sees you. Nothing missing nothing broken. He's not waiting for you to pass a class. He's not waiting for you to get a better job. He's not waiting for you to become a better parent, father, brother, mother, son. He's not waiting for you to do anything. He sees you as you are and loves you regardless. He sees past all of our frailties, all of our inadequacies, everything that falls short in our life. He looks right past that and loves us for who we really are. And he has exposed himself in front of us, there is nothing hidden in God. He has opened his heart wide open. And the only people that can really hurt you are the people that you love. And he, is, he went to a world that hated him and exposed his heart anyways. I'm going to read in Romans 5, uh, 6 through 8. Paul says that we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, We can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours onto our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrived right on time to make this happen. He doesn't and didn't wait for us to make ourselves ready. He presented himself as a sacrifice for us when we were far too weak and rebellious to get ready on our own. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't even know how to dress ourselves anyways. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And I can understand how a very influential person can motivate me to self-sacrifice. But God put his love on the line by offering his son to us while we were of no use to him. While we were enemies with him, he exposed our heart to us. That's what love is. And we will never be able to love God we will never be able to express our love to other people as long as we are believing that we are not lovable. The only opinion in the universe that matters is God's. Every, the person that's sitting next to you doesn't know you the way that God knows you. The person on Facebook doesn't know you the way that God knows you. God knows you, the real you. And he has put a price tag on you. That The only thing that, that can pay for that is his very life. He has found the deal of the century. He said that I am like a pearl merchant that's walking through a marketplace and I found you. No one knew what they had. You ever seen like American Pickers? Oh my gosh. This priceless artifact has been hidden in your hoarder closet for 40 years and you had no idea. I found it. And Jesus went and sold everything that he had to buy the pearl because it was of such great worth, and you are the pearl. Jesus said, I am like a man that went out and found a treasure hidden in a field. So I went and sold everything that I have so that I could get by that field and find the treasure. That's what he did with you. He bankrupted heaven, laid heaven on the line. He said he poured out all of his glory to win you back. And he still feels like he came out better in the deal. So at the end of everything, he says that all the heavens and all the old earth passes away. He gave up everything, and he creates a new life with you. And he still feels like he got the better end of the bargain. He took all of our sin, all of our junk, all of our dysfunction, and he gave us everything that was good about him, and he's still like, man, I lucked out in this deal. It's incredible. 1 John 4, 17 says God is love. He doesn't love. He doesn't wake up in the morning and try really hard to love you. He is love. And when we take up a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. How closer can you get to the Lord? So when we say, God, I just need to get closer to you, you're there. You're at the center of it. He lives in you and God lives in us. This way, love has run of the house and it becomes home and matures in us so that we are free from worry on judgment day. How about this? Our standing in this world is identical to Christ's. By the power of the gospel, he has taken you, taken me, and all of our dysfunction and raised us up to be a co-equal and a co-heir with Christ. Not because we're amazing, but because of what he did in us. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. If you're still running away from the Lord because you're afraid that he's going to hit you with a brick, you don't know how much he loves you. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, those people are not fully formed in love. How about that? We, though, we're going to love and be loved. First we were loved and now we love because he loved us first. So if we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks how to love other people, and if today we're talking about like how we need to be loving God, the first thing that we've got to do to realize I am first and foremost before anything else, I am loved. God knows me for who I am and is thrilled about me. He laughs at all my jokes thinks I'm the coolest guy in school, loves my fashion choices. He loves me for who I am, not who I should be, loves me. And from that place of love, we branch out and we start healing the dysfunction in our lives. Does he love the dysfunction in our lives? No. Does he love that we get hurt? No, he doesn't love that we get hurt. But he loves who I am, and from that place of health, health radiates out to every part of our life. Health in you radiates to the rest of your family. But if we don't believe that we are loved for who we are, not as we should be, we will always be faking love around us. And fake love has never changed anybody's life. So if you're sitting there, sitting on a pew, and you're like, "Ah, but you don't know what I've done. Right. I mean, you could have done the worst thing in the world on the way to church here. God loves you anyways. He hears what you say to your family. He hears what you say to yourself and loves you anyways. You are loved. Are you going to step out from behind the facade that you've spent decades building and start being who you really are in front of God? And one day, I hope that you would be able to trust us enough for you to be the real you in front of us because I promise you we are not going to hit you with a brick. I want to get to know the real you. God wants to get to know the real you. Amen? All right, so let's pray.